This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Now, as we go back to the letter uh, Colossians, the, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, um, this is a letter where the Apostle Paul is trying to, on one hand, affirm the faith of this a budding church, and on the other hand, he's offering some soft correction as the church begins to maybe, through his perception, slide away from their core teachings. And so I, I want you to see that one of the things that the book of Colossians does so well is it works to make sure that we see Christ Jesus is supreme. And so let's go back to chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Look at this. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who raised from the dead. So he is first in everything. He has existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He is supreme over all. He is first in everything. He holds it all together. I said this when we went through this in the first chapter, but I, I just want to remind somebody, isn't it good to know that God's holding your life together? That you don't have to control a nuance and make sure everything's going the way you think it should because God on his throne is holding us together. And in verse 23, he says this, that you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. What, what is he admonishing them to continue to believe and stand firm in? It's real simply that Christ is supreme, that Jesus reigns and rules and is first. So when he actually gets to work in the second chapter to give them advice, I love where he goes. I've read this for the past few weeks out of the message paraphrase. He says this, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now study him. No. Now pray about him. No. Now live him. Live him. Now, live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now, do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Over and over throughout the book of Colossians, the Bible tries to make sure that we see this over and over again. That Jesus reigns supreme and remains the supreme issue in our lives. Jesus reigns supreme and remains the supreme issue in our lives. I mean, we could talk about marriage. And some of you would come in saying, hey, I need some help with my marriage. And while we could talk about communication and marriage and learning how to speak the love language of your spouse, those are secondary issues to the supreme issue of does 
Jesus Christ rule and reign over your marriage. Some of us might have some financial issues. And we'd come in and we might say, you know, I need some help. Help me to see the plan the Bible would have for my money. And that's good. And we could talk about tithing and we could talk about budgeting and we could talk about saving. But the real first supreme, not those are secondary, the supreme issue for your finances is does Jesus Christ rule and reign over your finances? And we could talk about kids, right? Because some of us got some issues with our kids. I don't know about y'all, but we do sometimes, okay? And we might say, hey, you know what? I need some discipline strategies, and I need some, I need some help with kind of communicating with them. They're coming from such a different place. And those are secondary issues. The supreme issue for our family is does Jesus Christ rule and reign over your family? Jesus is supreme. And he remains the supreme issue for us. So as the Apostle Paul begins to wrap this up, it's kind of important to ask the question, who is this for? Of course, Jesus is, is first, and Jesus matters the most, and, 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 and he's supposed to be the central and supreme issue in my life. But, but who is all the, when he's writing this, what, what is this, who is this for? And so as we go through today, we're going to zero in on a, a very small section of Colossians 4. If, if you've read ahead, a lot of the, the end of this book is, is personal. The apostle Paul is, is writing to the people that he knows, and he's referencing the people who are with him, who know this church. If you remember, he's, he's, he's not been to this church. This is a, a letter where he's kind of seen an opportunity to engage in what he feels like is a mission from God. And I love how he responds to us as he wraps it up here in verse 5 and 6. Look at this. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I want to read that again. This is all we're just going to lean into these verses today. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Look at that first part. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Live wisely among those who are not believers. It, it, it kind of draws us into an awareness that we are surrounded by people who do not think the way that we think, who do not believe the way that we believe, who are often streaming culturally towards a place that we don't want to go. And the first thing that I'm telling you, if you're taking notes today, the first fill in the blank is this. We must intentionally choose to live out God's wisdom. We must intentionally choose to live out God's wisdom. The world, in a sense, has a type of wisdom that it offers. All you have to do is pull up Instagram or Facebook and scroll through, and you're going to find a lot of advice, and you're going to find that a lot of it 
is not coming from God. Now, why is this so important? It, it's so important because our lives as believers and followers in Jesus, our lives are meant to look different. Last week, I told you that God doesn't just want a people who believe different. God wants the people who be different, who they are different. They live different. They have a different way of going about grieving, and they have a different way of going about relationships, and they have a different way of navigating conflict, and they have a different way of disagreeing with people. God's people are intended to be different. Why? Why does he say live, live wisely? Because we, as God's people, are God's living testimony. When people look at your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, they are postured to see the evidence of God's goodness, to see the work that he has done in your life. We are God's living testimony. But I think sometimes we have bought in so much to the wisdom of this world that our lives don't look that different. Our lives kind of look the same. We handle conflict the same. We handle money the same. We do relationships the same. When in all honesty, we're supposed to look Different. There's a different kind of wisdom in the world than there is in the heart of God for you. And so in week two, we talked about this as the, the text dealt with that. But I, I want to take you back to this. How, how do you test to see if it's God's wisdom? If you're, you're praying about something and you maybe have heard an idea or got some advice for a relationship or any of that sort of thing, you're, you're trying to figure it out. How do we test and see if it's God's wisdom. Here's the first one. Do the scriptures confirm it? Do the scriptures confirm it? Now, I, I'm, I'm going to give you an illustration for this. If you have money problems and, and you're, you're struggling financially, the, the worldly wisdom is you need more money. So what you need is a side hustle. What you need is you need to buy into this and get into that and start selling this and start making that. You need to do more work and make more money. But when the Bible says in Philippians that God has provided all your needs according to his riches and glory, what we can tell is that more often than not, we don't have a supply issue. We have a management issue. The world's wisdom is not accurate. Do the scriptures Confirm. We constantly need to be taking what we hear, the advice we're going to take, what we're going to do with our, we need to be going back to the Word of God. Do the Scriptures confirm it? Number two, do those with authority in my life support it? I shared with you guys, when we were getting ready to plant Vortex, the very first thing I did after talking to my wife was to sit down with my employer, my pastor, and say, I think God's telling me to plant another church, which is a pretty scary conversation because he could very simply say, go do it. <laughs> You're done here, but he 
He didn't. The Lord showed up in that conversation, and he said, I see that in you. We want to support you. What can we do to help you? What's your timeline look like? All of that. And then I sat down with pastors in this city, pastors that I knew, that I respected. And I said, I feel like God's calling me to plant a church in your city. What do you think about it? I'm going to give you the opportunity to kill this if you don't see God at work in it. And every one of them said, we believe God's up to it. Take it. Run with it. We're going to bless it. Do those with authority in my life support it? Number three, does the fruit align with God's stated desires for my life. I'm just going to get all up in somebody's business for a second, okay? There might be sometimes you get invited into something, and it feels real good, and it seems to solve your problem up front. But when you start looking into the life of the person who's inviting you into it, and you go, oh, you started this three years ago, oh, you've made this much money, but you also got divorced, Does the fruit align with God's stated desires for your life? Because there's sometimes some things sound real good, and at the very beginning of this book, the Apostle Paul pushes against this. There's some things that sound good that aren't good. And we got to look at the fruit of what it's producing. Do the Scriptures confirm it? Do people with authority in my life affirm it? And does the fruit align with the Word of God? Here's why we should ask that, because your life should look different. Your life should look different. People should be looking at your life and going, there's something there that's different. I have walked through hard, difficult seasons with people who love Jesus and you take a step back. I mean, just me personally, I take a step. I have no idea how you have peace. I have no idea how you have joy, but there's something that's there in your relationship with God that's sustaining you through that. Your life should look different. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Then he continues, make the most of every opportunity. I'm hoping that you start to see opportunities in your life a little differently this morning. Because if you've got some fill in the blanks, opportunities come from God. Make the most of every opportunity. Why do we need to capitalize on opportunities? Because opportunities are gifts from God. There is no such thing as happenstance. There is no such thing as it was just dumb luck. Opportunities Come from God. But many of us don't like opportunities. As Thomas Edison once said, opportunity is missed by by most people because it comes dressed in overalls and it looks like work. I told you last week that work is not a curse. It's a calling. God gives Adam a job before Adam and Eve sin. Genesis 2, take dominion over all of this that has been created. That's a job. Work comes before the curse. When the curse comes, it just gets harder. Paul opens this letter, chapter 1, verse 29, saying, hey, I want you to, we've never met, but I'm working hard for you. When, when I showed you those people when we opened up, you may have never met them, but you want to know what? They're working hard every week for you. 
behind the scenes. You don't see it. There are people who are praying for you right now you've never met. You know, the work is, is our part. But, but the opportunity, in creating the opportunity is God's. This is a very big part of the writings of the Apostle Paul. This understanding that God sovereignly creates opportunities in our lives. That God does things for us, that he opens doors, that he uh, creates certain alignments, that somehow we meet this person and there's some kind of gravity and divine flow and we meet this person and we're halfway around the world and they're from our hometown. There is no such thing as happenstance. God works through opportunities. And in Galatians, as the Apostle Paul is, again, wrapping up that letter to that church, he says this, and, and we love this, right? We love this verse. So let's not get tired. How many of y'all get tired? All right? Some of us do. All right? The rest of y'all are lying, okay? Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Why? Why does he say that? Because we can get tired. When we're doing what is good. Let's not get tired of doing what is good for at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if what? We don't give up. We love that, right? But look what comes right after that. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. How many times have you passed up on an opportunity to do something good? How many times have you known somebody was hurting, somebody was struggling, somebody needed some affirmation, somebody needed some encouragement, somebody needed to hear from you, and you didn't step in and do it? How many times have you had the means to help a friend who was struggling in a season, and you didn't show up and do that? How many times have you passed on an opportunity? Because think about it. That's what he's talking about here. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Look where he goes next. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. I want you to, I want you to think about this concept with me for a moment. The words you use attract the things in your life. The words you use attract the things in your life. Maybe, maybe you don't like your friends right now. What are you saying about your friends? Because you want to know what? I'm going to bet they know what you're saying. Some of y'all don't like your job. Maybe you don't like your employees. You want to know what? I'm going to tell you something. Your boss, your employees, they probably know. They probably know. Here's one that hurts. What are you saying to your kids? What are you saying to your kids when you're frustrated, when you're upset, when things aren't going the way that you want it to? The words we use attract the things in our life. Are things not going how you want them to go? Maybe your marriage is not going how you want it to go. Maybe your kids, it's not going at home the way that you want it to go. Look at your words. 
Here's a question. How disciplined are you with your words? There's a lot of us working real hard to be disciplined with what we eat and what we do when it comes to exercise, maybe even in our jobs trying to develop and cultivate new discipline. But how disciplined are you with your words? Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The words you use are building the life that you have today. James talks about this, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, the third chapter. He says this, indeed, we all make many mistakes. How many of you are like, yeah, I've said some stuff I shouldn't have said before. We all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. Think about it. The words that you use, the way that you talk about your your friends and your your spouse and your employees and your, your boss and your mom and your dad, are those the words you want to use to build your life? There's a lot of us that, if we're honest, know. And what, what kind of conversations are we instructed in this to have? Right? Well, he used, on one, one hand, he used attractive, right? So, in other words, the, we're, we're attracting things with our words. But there's a word that's here that describes the nature of our conversations. What kind of conversations? Gracious ones. Because a gracious conversation reflects the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus was gracious, and when we become gracious, we begin to reflect Jesus. So where does he start? Live wisely among those who do not follow Jesus. Live wisely among them. All right, and then make the most out of every opportunity. Make sure that your conversations are gracious and attractive. So what? So that you will have the right response for everyone. So that you will have the right response for everyone. Oh, think about that. Who's this for? Why is it such a big deal to make Jesus supreme in our life? I mean, obviously, it gets me right with God. But is it just for me? I want you to see, no, it's not. So that you will have the right response for everyone. Because here's the truth somebody needs to be reminded of today. Everyone is watching you. Everyone is watching you respond. When things go wrong, when somebody says something, how are you responding? Think about this with me. When when your friend talks bad about you, how do you respond to that? When when your kids, I mean, you're talking like home alone, all your kids Even their friend, when your kids misbehave, how do you respond? 
when your boss disappoints you? How do you respond? Here's a good one for today. When your neighbor puts up those ugly Halloween decorations, how do you respond? Because here's the thing about our response. Our choices are responses to God's opportunities. I know you might not see it, but I'm hoping you see it now that when your neighbor throws up those ugly Halloween decorations, that it might be an opportunity for you to show them some grace and love and not be judgmental and harsh. And when your boss disappoints you, it might be an opportunity for you to be gracious and see that there have been plenty of times you've probably disappointed them. When there's conflict with your spouse, You don't have to win. As a matter of fact, you can even take a posture where your opinion doesn't have to be the one that wins because somewhere inside you make a decision that I want Jesus to win in our family, and if Jesus wins, I don't care if I win. Why? Why is Paul saying make Jesus supreme in your life? Make him the the utmost of importance. Make him the ruler and reigner over everything in your life. Why? Because these things aren't for us. They're for everybody else. Are you responding in life in a way that gives credibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ? If the only gospel your kids ever heard was preached through your words, would they see Jesus alive in your family? If the only Jesus that your boss saw was how you respond in the midst of conflict and how you react to his or her leadership, would they see Jesus in you? When you walk into school or into work, wherever you walk tomorrow, do people see Jesus in you? Because our job in life, our job is to do the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul does throughout this letter to the church in Colossae. We should consistently respond in such a way that our lives point people to Jesus. That our lives are a huge neon sign pointing to Jesus Christ that when you go through a crisis, people are going, how did you have peace in that? Jesus, that's all I got. When your boss comes in and sits down and says, how, how, are, how are you performing at this level through this season? I, I know we're not supposed to talk about faith at work, but, but I've, I've just got to say this. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That when you get observed by your principal, and they come back and say, how how in the world do you have these kinds of relationships with these students in your classes? I know, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but it's because, 
I try to love them like Jesus loves me. When you're talking to a, another business owner who goes, how in the world did you make it through the pandemic and, and thrive the way you have? Well, you know what? The only answer I have is Jesus because that's my life. It's all about him. Why? Why does Paul consistently push us to this? Because Jesus reigns supreme and remains the supreme issue in our lives. A letter that was literally written thousands of years ago is still just as applicable in our lives as it was to that small church in Colossae, Greece. Why? Because Jesus still reigns. And he wants to reign over every area of your life. Jesus reigns supreme and remains the supreme issue in our lives. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.